Hello and welcome to Come and See, a home-centered, podcast-supported Come Follow Me. I'm Sam Rencher. And I'm Wendy Rencher. This week we're looking at 3rd Nephi chapters 12 through 16. Let's just start out with chapter 12, verse 1. It reads, And it came to pass that when Jesus had spoken these words unto Nephi and to those who had been called, now the number of them who had been called and received power and authority to baptize was twelve. And behold, he stretched forth his hand unto the multitude, and cried unto them, saying, Blessed are ye, for if ye shall give heed unto the words of these twelve whom I have chosen from among you, to minister unto you and to be your servants, and unto them I have given power that they may baptize you with water, and after that ye are baptized with water, behold, I will baptize you with fire and with the Holy Ghost. Therefore, blessed are ye if ye shall believe in me and be baptized, after that ye have seen me and know that I am. That verse has lots and lots of principles in it. It's a great verse. One of the things that it talks about is how to receive blessings. Um, for example, it talks about blessed are ye if ye give heed unto the words of the apostles or blessed are ye if ye believe in jesus and make covenants with him those are two super important covenants um, verse two gives us a few more it says more blessed are they who believe in the words of the apostles and are humble and make covenants for they shall be forgiven and receive the holy ghost um I think there's a couple of other ways that we could look at this blessed, you know, um, it is how we receive um, blessings from Heavenly Father, but blessed, the definition in Greek means privilege to receive divine favor, um, which could also be translated as, oh, the happiness of. So, for example, in verse one, it says, therefore, blessed are ye if ye shall believe in me and be baptized. So we could substitute, therefore, Oh, the happiness of um, if ye are, if ye shall believe in me and be baptized. Um, I, I kind of like that. It's so That's, awesome. It's something that should be written in scriptures. Oh, the happiness of. Oh, the happiness of. And then President Harold B. Lee, um, maybe this will seem contradictory. I don't know. Um, he um, also talked, he actually wrote a book that talked about the, the each beatitude. Um, and he said that blessedness is defined as being higher than happiness. Happiness comes from without and is independent um, and is dependent on circumstances. Blessedness is an inward fountain of joy in the soul itself, which no outward circumstances can seriously affect. So hopefully you don't see that as a contradiction, that oh, the happiness of and that blessedness is defined as being higher than happiness. Um, but I do think that those are two good principles. Oh, the happiness um, that we are poor in spirit. Oh, the happiness that we are, you know, mourning um, with others. Oh, the happiness of, of those who are pure in heart. Um, because that, those, that principle is true. And then I think President Lee is just saying, hey, Happiness sometimes in a worldly sense is defined as the things outside of us and blessedness is really um, 
focusing on on you know Christ and the joy that comes from following Him. That's my take on it. Anyway. I love it. It um, reminds me of the proclamation of the restoration where he he says he invites all of us to come unto him and his church to receive the Holy Ghost, the ordinances of salvation, and to gain enduring joy. So that enduring joy could be the happiness of or deeper than happiness. Yeah, that blessed state. Yes. Right? I also think an important principle in these verses, it says uh, in the first in verse one, it's blessed are ye if ye shall give heed unto the words of these 12 whom I have chosen. Um, so oh, the happiness of if you're willing to give heed to prophets and apostles who Jesus chooses. Um, this quote uh, that I'm going to share with you is also from President um, Harold Bealey. He said, we must learn to give heed to the words and commandments that the Lord shall give through his prophet as he receiveth them walking in all holiness before me, as if from mine own mouth in all patience and faith. There will be some things that take patience and faith. You may not like what comes from the authority of the church, but if you listen to these things as if from the mouth of the Lord himself with patience and faith, the promise is that the gates of hell shall not prevail against you. Yea, and the Lord God will disperse the powers of darkness from before you and cause the heavens to shake for your good and his name's glory. Um, so important to listen to the words of President Nelson and those um, apostles. We're going to have that opportunity um, in just a week. Coming right up. Uh, to hear the most recent word of the Lord. Um and to listen to those things as if from the mouth of the Lord himself. And that as we do that, as we follow the instructions given um, from our prophet, that we will um, be blessed. That's so awesome. I love the phrase, as if coming from the Lord himself. That, that seems to be the key. Yeah. So, so many great things about the Beatitudes um, in chapter 12. We won't go over all of them, but maybe we'll do a few here. Um, so let's do verse 3. You want to read verse 3 for us? Yea, blessed are the poor in spirit who come unto me, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So to me, poor in spirit is a humility that brings um, us to claim the blessings and covenants of the gospel. Um, I think being poor in spirit is to feel spiritually needy, to feel that desire to come to Christ and to recognize him as our savior and to recognize our dependence on God for all things. It's good. How about verse four? Okay. And again, blessed are all they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. So this morning scripture, I think we often think of mourn as in, you know, the, I guess looking to others and being able to comfort them and recognize or have compassion for others in their sorrow. So yeah. often we, we think of that, but we could also look at, um, at mourn as showing a godly sorrow that brings us to repentance, um, not just bearing one another's burdens and, and compassion for others, um, but also mourning meaning we don't want to sin and and that mourning brings us closer to god um, i love the idea also that in mourning that we see another's need and then we want to act to meet it that 
um, that that morning, I guess, um, is an action that we do, whether we're looking at it from a repentance standpoint or from, a, you know, having compassion and care and concern for others. But either way, that brings comfort. Yeah. Either through the repentance or through helping others. Yeah. Uh, verse 5 reads, And blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So we could probably do a whole podcast just on what does it mean to be meek. I'm sure we could. <laughs> um, but uh, what we could define meek as being teachable, being willing to learn from all no matter someone's position or station, um, being meek is also um, means you're not easily provoked. Uh, Elder Bednar gave a fantastic talk on meekness in um, conference in 2018. Mm -hmm. One of the best ever. Yeah. Um, he said that meekness is a defining attribute of the Redeemer and is distinguished by righteous responsiveness willing submissiveness and strong self-restraint i love that part that meekness part of that is um is self-restraint is being able to control your you know appetites passions um your spirit and body in order to act in the way that jesus would um and then elder bednar continues the christ-like quality of meekness often is misunderstood in our contemporary world Meekness is strong, not weak, active, not passive, courageous, not timid, restrained, not excessive, modest, not self-aggrandizing, and gracious, not brash. A meek person is not easily provoked, pretentious, or overbearing, and readily acknowledges the accomplishments of others. So, meekness. Man, I'm striving for that. Yeah. <laughs> All right, verse 6 says... And blessed are all they who do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled with the Holy Ghost. That's amazing. Again, as our prophet talks about hear him, and we have been striving to do better and better at hearing him, uh, which you know is done through being filled with the Holy Ghost. Well, here is here is a path to that. It's hunger and thirsting after righteousness, or earnestly seeking and desiring a righteous, virtuous life will make will put us in a better position to hear him. Yeah. All right. That might be it for at least the, the Beatitudes. Beatitudes there's, there's so many great ones. Yes, but we'll leave we'll leave the rest for you to study. Maybe right. we'll jump to verse thirteen. Which reads Verily, verily I say unto you, I give unto you to be the salt of the earth. But if the salt shall lose its savor, wherewith shall the earth be salted? The, shalts, the salt shall be thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot of men. Um, I've tried to understand this verse more. I put more study into this verse than I, than I ever have before. And there's some really interesting things about salt. Uh, one is that there's over 14,000 different uses for salt. Salt is this really incredibly useful substance. Um, one thing is that it makes things taste better. At least I really, I like salt <laughs> on, on almost everything. And it also is a preserving, it preserves things so that it lasts longer. Um, when 
when the Jews were practicing the law of Moses in order to offer a sacrifice, which is what they were, you know, doing as part of the law of Moses, they had salt was part of that sacrifice. They had to, um, the offering that they gave had to be salted in order to be a proper offering under the law of Moses. Which really gives it a, a deeper meaning. One of the things that I, I found interesting was how salt can lose its savor. Well, salt, if it is salt, the actual chemical compound of salt, it, it doesn't lose its savor or it isn't salt anymore. It has to actually change its chemical compound in order for it to not taste like salt. And that makes me puzzle. So then it, if salt loses its savor, how does, how does that happen? Well, in a spiritual sense, you have to change and become different than who you are. And, and what that happens is if we break our covenant with God, we become something less, a, a whole different makeup. And therefore, we, we don't have savor anymore. And we can't salt the earth because we no longer have the covenant because we've broken that covenant. So I think that's partly what it means to lose, lose savor. Um, I also think um, that you can, you can dilute salt. Um, and that's another way that perhaps you could talk about it losing its savor is maybe um, you had the example of putting salt, a teaspoon of salt in a swimming pool of water. Um, of course, you wouldn't taste the salt anymore. It's, it's still in there, but it's lost its, its savor. Um, and as we, uh, if we allow ourselves to be diluted into the world um, or to allow the world too much to come into our lives, um, perhaps we're diluting that salt, that covenant um, or the, the... Just becoming so much a part of the world that we just don't have the savor of the gospel to share, to be helping others be preserved and to have everything taste better and be better through our actions. Just think of all the good we can do as the covenant people of the Lord, how we can help the whole world taste better as it is. And yet if we get diluted into the world, we can't do that anymore. Yeah. We don't stand out as a peculiar people and we don't help everything be better and be preserved. Right. It's interesting to think about and to uh, study about. Um, maybe let's go to verses 14 and 15. It says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I give unto you to be the light of this people. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Behold, do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, nay, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light to all that are in the house. Therefore, let your light so shine before this people that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Sister Corden gave actually a great talk on letting your light shine in this previous conference. If you haven't studied that, you could study that this coming week in preparation for general conference. Um, but um, I think... When we taught this lesson with our with our kids, we actually had them light a candle. Um, it's a pretty small light when you light a candle, and yet it doesn't matter how big the room is. When it's dark, you could see that candle 
you know, from anywhere, that flame, that light. Yeah. I don't make a very good blind person. I, <laughs> I don't do well in the dark. I lose my balance. I stumble. I was playing this, one of those youth activities where you have to try and get from one side of the log to the other, but there's a whole bunch of people on the log and you have to step over and around people. But they were playing where if if you step off, you get some sort of handicap. And I fell off once, and the handicap they gave me was they put a blindfold on me. And then I was useless on the team. I just kind of crunched down and held on tight, and people had to get over me. But really, none of us do well without spiritual light, without the light of, of Christ, without really Jesus is the light. And without Jesus none of us do well we all stumble we all lose our balance we all lose our way really how can you see without light you can't you can't see without light the only way you can see is with light which is our savior he is the light and and he is so bright and so big but sometimes in our lives there might be a lot of darkness around us for whatever reason you know sin different trials we're going through um, just the circumstances of, of life. Um, and so even if it feels like our, our light or that light of the savior or of the gospel is just that small little candle light, um, you know, we've got to really focus on that. Look to that, look to, to get closer to that light. How can we get closer to the light so that the, the brightness of that can really illuminate and you don't end up, you know, blindfolded and stumbling around. Yeah. <laughs> In, in your game. Isn't that the truth? Uh, maybe we look at chapter 12, verse 19, which reads, And behold, I have given you the law and the commandments of my Father, that ye shall believe in me, and that ye shall repent of your sins, and come unto me with a broken heart and a contrite spirit. Behold, ye have the commandments before you, and the law is fulfilled. So the law was given that his people might believe. Um, we have a law, but it's a higher law than the one they had at this time. Um, and this law was, is given to us for the same pur uh, purpose, it's so that we can believe in our Savior and get to know him. Um, verses 20 um, through the end of the chapter really talk about um, the old law and the higher law that that Jesus is asking of the people at that point. Um, maybe we'll, we'll just do just one example and then we'll just encourage you to read the rest. And okay. We made like a couple of columns and looked at it in some different ways. But one would be um, Jesus has said, thou sh or the, the law of Moses says, thou shalt not kill. That's in verse 21. Um, but then Jesus says, but you know, I'll, I say unto you, do not even get angry. Don't call people names. If someone is mad at you, go fix that. So that not only should we not be angry, but we should, but we shouldn't suffer others to be angry with us. That's certainly a higher law. Um, agree with an adversary quickly, or in other words, don't even have enemies. Um, pay all your debts, or in other words, um, don't give anyone cause to be angry with you. So, you know, we can see there is 
there is the first law, thou shalt not kill, but then there are all these great higher law things, and all of these are based in how do we get to know our Savior and become more like him? I kind of like to think of them as invitations. Um, um, I made a list of here's the invitations that Jesus is giving to me. So, for example, the same example, but in verse 21, Jesus said, don't kill and don't be angry and don't call people names. Those are the invitations that he's giving us in order for us to learn to live that higher law life. Yes, of course, we still shouldn't kill, but he's also asking us, you know, to go beyond that. Um, and so I like to think of them as invitations. I don't know why I just <laughs> like them to be invitations. That's a great way to look at it. Uh, let's look at verse 48. Um, it really is, it answers the question, why? Why the new law? It says, therefore, I would that ye should be perfect, even as I or your Father who is in heaven is perfect. Um, so Jesus, we should be following his example of becoming like the Father. We can become more complete or even more um, perfect if we follow Jesus and the law he has given us. So we've been given this commandment to become like our Savior. And, but all of these things are, here's how you do it is you follow these higher law things and it will lead you to become more like him. Um, the word perfect in Greek is uh, teleos, which translates to complete or whole. Um, and I think it's important as we, as we look at this commandment um, to be perfect, which it is a commandment, um, but we recognize its place maybe in our mortal lives um, that it's not going to be possible for us to be complete or whole um, in this life. And that I, I just, I cringe a little bit when I hear um, people say that we have to be perfect and then they feel that pressure or um, maybe an unnecessary pressure to, to be perfect now. And there might be certain commandments you could be perfect in, like you could be a perfect tithe payer or something like that. But there's going to be other commandments that we're going to be working on long after this life is over. And, oh, yes. and um, we should be careful to make sure that we're improving and that we are working to be better, working on these, you know, these, these laws that, that Jesus is giving us, but not expecting um, more than maybe we should um, as far as perfection goes. Jesus makes us perfect. Um, we do our best to follow him and repent. And that's how we'll become perfect is by using his atoning sacrifice, not that we will never make any mistakes. If you want to study more about this, uh, President Nelson wrote a book called Perfection Pending. That's excellent. And the first, he really goes through different talks that he's done in that book. And the very first one that he goes through is a talk called Perfection Pending. So the book is excellent, or you could even just find the actual talk, Perfection Pending, and it's all about that principle. It's very good. Um, why don't we look at chapter 13? Um, the first five verses or so talk about how we do things in God's kingdom, that they should be done with the right heart or done for the right reasons. Uh, if we keep the commandments, but we do it to be seen of men, it doesn't help us become like our Father in heaven. 
And this principle, it, it goes with many things. Um, it works with prayer. We can look at verses 5 and 6. Let me yeah, read that. That'd be great. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not do as the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy father who is in secret, and thy father who seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. So where is your heart when you're praying? You know, why, why are you praying when you pray? Um, that makes a real difference. If our heart is in the right place, then that makes all the difference. I do think it also can maybe point us to the idea that prayer is free from distraction. Um, that when we're praying, we're really focused on God. It's it's not kind of a sort of a side note or, you know, I know it's really easy when you're praying to start your prayer and then to kind of get lost in your own thoughts and then come back and be like, oh yeah, I was praying, right? But prayer that's that really is focused on the Savior, focused on talking to Heavenly Father, um, instead of, instead of distracted prayer. Yeah. That's a goal to work towards. That's it's a, <laughs> a valid goal. Uh, this principle works with, um, with fasting verses 16 and 17. Moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thy head and wash thy face. It's where is your heart when you're fasting. If your heart is, I hope people can know how spiritual I am because I'm fasting. But there, there's your whole reward. That's all you get out of it. That, that's such a waste. Uh, we need to be fasting um, really with the right spirit, with the right place in our heart. Yes. Um, let's go to, to verse 19. Um, and this really talks about um, treasures and what are our treasures on earth? It says, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body um, is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. Should I keep going? Why don't we stop there for a minute? Okay. Um. So, you know, it, this actually ties quite nicely to the previous principle about our yes. hearts and where is our heart. So this, you know, this treasure idea um, goes to the same thing. Um, where is our heart and what treasure are we focusing on? Um, it it kind of just says it the opposite way. Instead of saying, where's your heart? It's saying, where's your treasure? And where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. It's a way to help us understand where our heart is. If our heart is in the wrong place with the wrong thing, that it's based on a, an earthly treasure, whatever that may be, yeah. then money, our heart is in the wrong place. Money, popularity, you know, things. It um, can even be on ourselves. It can be on selfishness. Yeah. If your treasure is yourself, then... That's where your heart is instead of 
giving your heart to the Lord and the Savior, it's on yourself and that Right. That doesn't that doesn't last in the end, I guess. No, no, it doesn't. Um, anything that takes you away from serving God and he, keeping his commandments could be considered a treasure um, that is not the kind of treasure that we could should be seeking for. So it can be TV or movies or even hobbies or work, um, even, you know, any activity, even ones that are good that prevent us from making time for Jesus, for scriptures, for ministering, for prayer, for church activity, for serving in callings. Um, it is really not laying up treasures in heaven. And so um, I think that's something everyone can evaluate. You know, are there places where I'm not willing to give that up yet? Or I'm not willing to give that part of me. Um, I'm keeping that little treasure in that corner, even though I'm doing all these other things, but I really like this little treasure and I'm going to hang on to it. Um, Jesus really asks us to give up everything um, to lay up treasures in heaven. You know, a, a certain movie or TV show, you know, may, really isn't bad. But, you know, if you've watched it 40 times and you can quote it perfectly, and well, then that's that's one of those places where maybe that's kind of a treasure of yours. But it's one of those treasures that doesn't lead to spiritual. Yeah, especially if it's keeping us. I think that's part of it, too. Is it keeping us, preventing us from doing other things that maybe we're not giving the time and attention and focus. I think that is the key. So So I think a verse that that just captures what we just were talking about is verse 33 um, from chapter 13. It is, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. I think the key is that we should seek God and his kingdom and his righteousness first in, in all things that we do. And then there's times to, time to do other things. Yeah, I, I think Heavenly Father wants us to develop our talents, wants us to, you know, you need a little bit of downtime, you need, you know, hobbies. You know, those are all healthy things as long as we're putting God first. And then, you know, all those other things can fit into their proper place in our yeah. lives. Yeah. Um, I also like the idea of seeking, um, seeking the kingdom of God. What, do, what does that mean? And when I looked in the topical guide under seek, um, I found words like dedicate, follow, commit, love, serve, choose, covenant, do, continue, obey, offer, change, embrace, and desire. And um, to seek really is embodies all of those things. You know, we're following Jesus. We're committed to Jesus. We love Jesus. We're serving Jesus. We're choosing Jesus. Um, and they loved also that they were action words. You know, that to seek is an action, something that we do. Um, and in order to show Heavenly Father where our heart is, we, we have to actively participate in that seeking process. It's fun to actually put those words in the sentence because they can give it a little different feel. So like, like commit, we'd say, but commit ye first to the kingdom of God and oh, his righteousness. Yeah, I like that. That's good stuff. Or, you know, but serve ye first in the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Or dedicate first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Um, and you can go through and use all of those words. I like the embrace. 
but embrace ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Those, they all give kind of a different feel, and it's it uh, just a good exercise. Yeah, just to help you think of what does it mean to seek the kingdom of God. Yep. We're going to close uh, with in chapter 16 um, with verses 11 to 14. It says, And then will I remember my covenant, which I have made unto my people, O house of Israel, and I will bring my gospel unto them, and I will show unto thee, O house of Israel, that the Gentiles shall not have power over you, but I will remember my covenant unto you, O house of Israel, and ye shall come unto the knowledge of the fullness of my gospel. But if the Gentiles will repent and return unto me, saith the Father, behold, they shall be numbered among my people, O house of Israel, and I will not suffer my people who are of the house of Israel to go through among them and tread them down, saith the Father. Um, so really this, these verses, um, the things that stood out to me was that I remember my covenant. I will bring my gospel unto them. I will show unto thee. Um, I will not suffer my people. Uh, just a reminder that this is Jesus's church. It's his church. It's his gospel. It's his work. We're helpers in the work and he's asked us to, you know, to be helpers and to be disciples and to be gatherers. Um, but we really have to trust Jesus and his plan and look to God as we serve and do his work in his way. If you're ever working with someone or, you know, wanting someone to change or wanting to help someone, um, just, just remember that Jesus is the one that is doing the work and we're the helpers. And of, of course, we follow the spirit. Of course, we seek for promptings to help people. Um, but it, it's his way and his time that people um, accept the gospel and come to church. And, and, and as if we're there willing to help and we're there um, doing our best, um, I think that's what he asks of us. Brilliant. All right. That's it for this week. Thanks so much. Enjoy conference.